This is part two of a three-part podcast. Hi, this is Mark. Sometimes talking to a friend or family member about permaculture can be met with a blank stare if it's all new to them. A great way to explain some of it can be over a card game using permaculture playing cards, which each have interesting facts with quality illustrations and descriptions. A wide range of people, places, and things all related to permaculture can be found on the permaculture playing cards at richsoil.com forward slash cards. So, uh... Terrace, about a hundred feet up that mountainside, and and I think that it would have told a different story because up there on that mountainside, it's obviously drier. Yes, there are no grasses like what we're talking about. The grasses that are growing up there are different. They they have a they tell a different story. the The vegetation that's up there is is just different. Now, there's uh, still a fair bit of soil up there. But it's far more gravelly. Yes. Less silt. Stuff is not as lush. But to me, I think that's actually what we want. That's, that's better than what you found. Because I believe that when you dug down into what you found, because when I dug down there before where you were, that what came up for me was a silt, and I could grab that silt, and I could give it a squeeze, and I would get like a quarter cup of water out of a handful of silt. Yep. But at the same time, I'd leave that hole open for several days, you know, telling everybody, stay away from my hole. And yep. uh and I'd look down the hole by sneaking up on the edge of the hole, and it's like there's no puddle in the bottom. Or sometimes there would be a puddle, but it was so tiny and trivial, it's stupid. Yeah. And what so, we got was like, it just, it wasn't even that. We didn't even get that. We got that the, the place, the wet place that we exposed would dry out. Yeah. You know, which, you know, we're doing this in July. So right. it's a very hot time of the year. All right. So this I think terrace a hundred feet up, this terrace a hundred feet up. Yep. I believe I would hit bedrock. I think so that would be my question is like, how deep would the bedrock be there? And I didn't have a great feel for that because I hadn't, I hadn't played with that hillside before. I think, I think that's where you stand back and you look at the mountain and you try to guess like what kind of big hunk of rock makes up this mountain. Yep. And then if there's, 5,000 years of erosion or probably more accurately 50,000 years of erosion happening to this giant rock, how much of it sloughed off and then is kind of sitting kind of kind of caked up next to that giant rock. And and then that's where you start with a with a lot of geological guessing which I think this is a really good time to point out that Jim Jukzak went out there with you and you guys did some dowsing. And and I got to say this about dowsing. First of all, there's a long parade of people saying that's not science, that's a bunch of bullshit, that's just crazy people, stuff like that. And I want to point to that group for a second and say, no way, you're crazy. Because this, there is science happening here. We just haven't figured it out yet. Because 
when you go walking out there with those rods and then they cross and you're thinking to yourself, I did not do that. Because I imagine you did this yourself. You walked out there with the rods and they crossed and you, Alan Booker said, okay, I did, I did not make them cross. And then you step back and you step forward. It does it again. And it's like, that is a thing that is really happening. I am observing this thing. Okay. First of all, I need validation that that happened to you. Well, I have done, I've of course doused before and had that happen. In this particular case, I intentionally had all the students do it instead of me. So, um, fair enough. And, uh, I just stood back and let them all douse. And then when we had multiple of them all hit the exact same spot, we were like, okay, let's, let's bore a little, uh, just take the auger and go here. And then, yep, we found, we found the place that was the wettest of anywhere we managed to find the entire time. Now, I am, I, I'm willing to say that it's possible it has something to do with water. But, you know, the engineer in me is, is like, I don't know that. I mean, something weird happened that I can verify. I have held those rods. And I have dug those holes. Yep. And, and it's like, uh, that is weird. I don't know if it has anything to do with water or just some wackadoodle luck or wackadoodle who knows what. I can't describe it. It is beyond my ability to connect the dots, but most people believe it has something to do with water. And, um, and so I'm going to say, I don't know what's happening, but there is something happening. And then all the people that are saying it's bullshit, I think those guys are, are, are singing the bullshit. What they're saying, their bull, their bullshit call is bullshit. I call bullshit on their bullshit. (laughs) And, and it's like, cause there is, there is something that's definitely happening and those guys haven't tried it yet. And so they're, they're, saying it's wrong and they haven't even tried it. They don't even know. They're, they're just whiners. So an important thing. Now I suspect going up on the hillside, the dowsers will, won't help me because any water that's there is, is trickling evenly across that, that, Whatever that, that impermeable layer down below, whether it's bedrock or something else, but it's 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 doing exactly what we want the underground geology to be doing for us to tap into it. Yeah, and so, again, the, for me, the whole question is how deep is it up there? You know, how, uh, exactly. How deep is it? Is it is it shallow enough that we can get to it and work with yes. it practically? Yes, because where you did dig. The information you came back with was that it is deeper than we've dug. Yes. It's, it could be a hundred feet deep, in which case not going to be a good performer for a spring terrace. Right. Okay. Mr. Booker, is there anything else that you want to add about your spring terrace project at Wheaton Labs last year? Ooh, I think we've covered it. All right. Now, uh, I think that the next thing is, is that we should get Uncle Mud to turn his microphone on. And then let's talk for a moment about the 
big win from last year. And, and that is, and, and I was so excited to hear the success of this project. And then it, it, it took a while for how powerful of a success it was to sink in. But it, it turns out that what we did changed the world of ceramics. So, um, I want to start by asking Mr. Booker and then, um, about what was accomplished from his perspective. Then we're going to talk to Uncle Mud about, uh, how did we get there? So, yeah. Mr. Booker? So I am not an expert ceramicist, um, but I know a little bit about the process of firing ceramics. And so let's set the stage by talking about what it looked like before we accomplished this for um, ceramics to get fired. A um, couple different ways. Of course, traditionally, the old, old way was wood-fired, and um, you would end up taking and uh and getting your your ceramics um and building a fire around them and holding that fire for a good bit of time now this would oftentimes be a big open fire and it used tremendous amounts of wood created tremendous amounts of smoke um i don't know the exact amounts lisa could give you exact amounts of how much they might use to do a standard wood fire um, in the, in, in that way, but it was large amounts of wood. Um, and it was, <clears throat> oftentimes at least half a cord, oftentimes two cords. And, yeah. and it was like a bonfire. Yes. And, and then later they tried to put, uh, bricks around the bonfire to kind of make it so they wouldn't have to burn as much wood. So they would kind of try to create a, a, a big giant box to hold the bonfire. Yep. And there were, there are a variety of other techniques. In fact, Uncle Mud can talk to about this at great length. Uh, as he showed me all kinds of pictures and, and stuff and videos of people of expert professional ceramicists, uh, seeking out what is believed to be the, the best ceramics Effects that you get, which come from wood burning. So like, yep. uh, uh, doing your kilns with electricity or natural gas gives you a very even, uh, controlled burn, but apparently it doesn't add an element of beauty that you get from these wood burns, which are these giant bonfires. Yes. And so then that you just hit that, Paul. It's like the other two main ways that ceramics have been fired is in a kiln using either an electric in a heating element, which takes huge amounts of power or um, using uh, natural gas combustion to, uh, as a, to, to create the heat. Uh, again, very, very energy intensive. Um, and, My understanding uh, is that if you're going to do this, and you're a ceramicist and you've got a fairly small kiln, like the, the size, we had an electric kiln donated to us that was, um, no longer working. It was a broken kiln. Yes. And, uh, and, and we, we worked it into our experiments. But my understanding is if you're going to fire that baby up, that if you're in a place where electricity is cheap, it'll be something on the order of 35 to $40 to, 
to do one firing, uh, yeah. you know, to do your ceramics thing. And there are some places, and that's usually considered pretty cheap, $30, $35, $40, something around in there. That's considered, there's places where it's like $80, $85 for every firing. Um, and so I think it's important to keep that in mind, the, the sheer volume of cost just to run a kiln. And then what happened next? Well, anyway, I'm all, I'm all pointing. Uh, Bo is still on. He, he put some info in the chat I find is interesting. He says, Tim C uses 12 cords for a big load, way bigger than these kilns, but still, quote, we use approximately 12 cords of wood to fire 800 pots over a period of three days with the kiln temperature peaking at 2,400 degrees. So, yeah, huge amounts. Yeah. Now that is a, that is a giant fire though. I mean, 800 pots, that's 800 pots is a lot. It is. And so I've seen, I've seen other ones where it was more like 40 pots and they were clearly burning a good three cords. Yeah. But I think you probably have to get it that big in order to get to high fire temperatures of 2400 degrees. Exactly. And you get, you get a little bit more efficiency of scale when you get that big, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but most people aren't set up logistically to fire 800 pots at one time over three days. That's quite an undertaking. Yeah. So anyway, like I said, it, you know, it's, it's, it, historically it's been a huge thing either in cost, if you're using electricity or natural gas or in logistics and wood to fire. And if you want the beauty of wood, then you're going into this whole thing. So the question was, can we use a much more efficient wood combustion approach and get the beauty of wood-fired kiln out of a lot less wood in a lot less time in a much more controllable fashion. And so the idea was let's take a J-tube um, combustion unit and figure out various approaches to coupling it into a kiln to get um, the firing temperatures we want into the kiln body and see if we can get to the desired fire temperatures um, with, you know, a, amount of wood that's just a fraction, a small fraction of what would normally be used in a wood-fired approach. And that was the experiments that were on deck for the PTJ um, that we we undertook. And Uncle Mud was the, the chief uh, pyrotechnician in terms of helping figure out how to couple the kiln into the J-tube combustion units. And um, he he figured two different approaches to test. And uh, we ended up testing both of those approaches uh, during the first week of the PTJ. And, now, um, yeah. before Mud gets going on what he did, I want to I wanna preface what Mud says with that, um, two two important things. Uh, one is is that in previous PTJs and some of our previous uh, rocket mass heater jamborees, um, uh, Mud made some prototypes and he he dabbled with some prototypes in this space a little bit here and there. And uh, but 
But I think that I think the most important thing is is that there is somebody that we regard as one of the leading experts in rocket stuff was utterly emphatic. It cannot be done. It is impossible. There is no way. The math just isn't just doesn't support it. Don't even bother trying. And 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 I've, not only that, but uh, when we did our last prototype at the uh, rocket mass heater jamboree a little over a year ago, this particular expert was there, and, and part of the video, which does not appear in the free heat movie, which we edited out, <laughs> is this particular expert standing over the prototype, telling people to not waste their time. And, and, and insisting that what they're doing is a waste of their time and they should stop and that this is, this is a pointless endeavor and, and actively discouraging them from even trying like right there. But of course, this is what we're about. This is what Wheaton Labs is about is trying. And so mud and we got video of mud and Rodney. Uh, pushing forward anyway, even though their friend and colleague is standing right there saying, don't do it. And he was, I don't know, the comedy of the emphasis of don't was, was hilarious compared to the results because, because the prototype, the prototype that's in the free heat movie reached high fire. And that's what the prototype last, last year. Okay, mud. I've I've been corking you for all this time. Now it's your turn. Go, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, this um, uh, this attempt has been going on for years. I mean, there's a uh, there when I first came to uh, Wheaton Labs, there was a well-loved um, uh, kiln. A rocket kiln that had been built and tested several times with different iterations and just didn't get high enough. And um, uh, when I talked to Ernie Wisner last week, he was ecstatic to hear that we'd gotten high enough and that that it was, uh, you know, and some of the stuff that that we were onto was on the right track, but we were early, early in the beta stage, and we're still. We were in the early in the alpha stage, and we're still early in the beta stage, but uh, it's working better every time. Um, and uh, that, I think, is important because, uh, well, human, uh, in terms of human endeavors, uh, pottery, clay pottery, uh, has been around a very long time and had a huge impact in how we live. Um, and... Uh, the, and you know, between plastics and, uh, industrialization to the, uh, to, uh, being so pervasive that, uh, we can't get access to, um, yeah, the ability to fire things for a reasonable price. Um, clay kind of doesn't get it's just it's just acknowledgement anymore and uh people who are potters find themselves either unable to afford to fire their kiln 
very often or, um, uh, or like, uh, like entire in, uh, pottery industries have found, um, once you have enough people hanging around because there's work at a pottery studio, um, they end up driving the pottery studio out of town because it creates so much smoke and because, uh, it took all of the wood in reasonable access distance in every direction and you can't afford to you know, heat your house, uh, or your, or cook your food because there's no more wood because it's all being consumed by pottery kilns. Uh, so, um, to be able to build a little kiln out of junk parts uh, and fire it in your driveway without pissing off your neighbors uh, or spending 30, 50, 60 dollars to do so um, is pretty cool. Uh, in fact, we're going to be at the Ensica conference next month in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's a uh, you know, ceramic arts uh, conference. And we're going to be firing up a uh, rocket kiln right in the driveway and burning some uh, burning some pottery of the the bones of what you need to build a pottery rocket kiln are actually fairly accessible. Um, a functional kiln is thousands of dollars, and uh, um, thanks to COVID and other industry. Uh, factors, even a piece of crap kiln is thousands of dollars now. Uh, but a electric kiln that doesn't work anymore is free or a couple hundred bucks. And if we take that and chop holes in it, uh, and put it on top of a rocket burner, um, that's one way to get, uh, that's one way to get a quick and dirty kiln or what burns clean, but quick and easy kiln. Um, uh, for firing pottery. And, uh, we struggled at first to get the temperatures. And then we built a, a super insulated kiln. We called the, uh, the mini fridge, um, and, uh, proceeded to blow up all of our pottery because we got it too hot too fast, even with our, our pre-warming, uh, technique. Um, and then, um, and then we succeeded in, um, uh, making some pottery. Um, and we, we've got a few designs. So one of them is a, uh, is this updraft kiln that makes a wide spot in the, uh, bottom of the riser. And, uh, um, and that, that works really well every time now. Um, and with some of the developments, uh, we just spend a week at my house, uh, with Rodney and, uh, Lisa, or a uh, ceramicist from uh, uh, Massachusetts who had been at the PTJ and at the Rocket Mass Heater Jamboree before that uh, working on this with us. Um, and uh, so now we've got a uh, rocket core that, uh, that produces the heat we want in a couple of hours, uh, which is about half the time it takes for an electric kiln to fire up. Um, and, uh, it uses a couple of banana boxes of firewood instead of, instead of, uh, um, uh, a tenth or a fifth of a cord of wood, which was what our first ones were using, which is, um, 
is a lot less than a, uh, a, a wood fired kiln, um, traditionally uses. True. So, I yep. mean, we're, we're, the thing is before though, when we were using so much wood, um, that was a prototype. I mean, it was a stack of those poorly insulated, insulated bricks, you know, those, yep. those yep. orange bricks. It was just a massive, massive stack of, of stuff that was not even like, uh, it didn't even have any mortar on it of any kind, right. clay slip, and, nothing like that. It was leaky as hell. And the mass really worked against us. Um, and, uh, because it doesn't need to be fired up and kept at a high temperature. It just needs to get to that temperature. And, um, and it has to do it before we fill up the throat with coals, uh, which has been one of our, uh, one of our real problems is that the, uh, the wood, even when we split it down into splinters to get a good hot fire, uh, the coals build up, um, to where the fire can't breathe. And if you scoop all of those coals out, your fire drops a couple hundred degrees. So, uh, um, we, we had to learn to, get the fire to breathe through the coals. Uh, uh, we left our clean out open at the bottom and let the fire suck the air through, through the pile of coals, which burns the coals down fast enough that we don't have to stop and shovel them out, which makes a big difference in keeping the fire hot. Um, one of the next interesting problems to tackle will be, uh, can we, get the size of the kiln bigger, uh, like, um, uh, the stratification kiln that we worked with got a higher temperature, but, um, one thing pottery does not tolerate is a significant difference between the temperature of the top of the kiln and the temperature of the bottom of the kiln. Um, the, the pottery doesn't fire, uh, evenly, uh, that way and you can't use the pottery. Uh, so, um, the stratification is actually, we actually get too much stratification. Um, so we're going to be working on ways to mix that up because, uh, um, the bigger of an insulated chamber we can get up to temperature evenly, uh, the more production value, uh, the rocket kiln has and the more wood it potentially saves the and and you know the more it's going to get used in a world on the brink of social collapse one website stands above the rest to fight back the zombie horde of corporate trolls permies.com take back control of your destiny and protect your loved ones from the toxic git coming at you from all directions strap on your overalls and start building that bunker of abundance with the good vibes and friendly helpful insight found at permies.com i i think that the stratification chamber design is in the long run going to be superior but at this point in time uh i i kind of feel like what has been accomplished is profound i mean where we're at now where you're talking about a couple of banana boxes full of wood i mean if we were to have paid let's say $300 for a quart of wood i mean we're definitely talking about something that's on the order of $3 worth $3 like, yes you know yes. so it's so 
$3 worth of wood that you could, I mean, we're talking about two banana boxes. So for a lot of people, just wander out into your yard and pick up the branches that have fallen off your trees. And uh, now you have enough wood. So it could be for free uh, yep. instead of, uh, you know, something on the order of $35 to $85 in order to, to, to do a burn. Yeah. yeah. So, one of the heroes of our, I would say for folks that have not like seen this, the visualization is this. The old way of doing this with the open fire, visualize a huge fire with huge amounts of black smoke coming rolling off for long periods of time. So and then you go over to what we're talking about here. There is no sensible smoke. You've got basically water vapor coming out and um, of the top of of this contraption and. So that is another whole thing of a game changer. That's why you know, we were saying you could literally do it on the front in, in the front driveway, um, whereas before it was something that you, you 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 just basically couldn't do in any any kind of neighborhood or any place where people are around because it produced so much smoke uh, for so long. So that's another thing just to you know take away as a picture of how much of a game changer this is. Besides just the raw amount of wood that it doesn't use, there is the fact that now you can do this and it is, you know, it's, it, it does not have that smoke profile, which is another profound layer to, um, the revolution of, of this kind of wood fired kiln. One of our, uh, one of the heroes of our, uh, PTJ was, uh, Chris Alvisher, uh, one of Lisa's friends who's a, wood-fired ceramic artist expert in Missoula who came out. He donated us the, 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 the junk kiln to work with and, uh, and also, uh, uh, brought his, um, uh, lifelong, uh, awareness of what it takes to properly, uh, fire pottery with wood and, uh, helped us connect the dots between that that set of of um, fairly rigid needs of what it takes to vitrify clay so that it doesn't uh, uh, so that it's usable without you know sloughing off in water um, and ability to fire to glaze it and uh, and and you and uh, drink out of it and things like that um, to, he he helped us uh, connect the dots between that and what a rocket can do, um, so that we, uh, so that we could make, make the two work together very well. And, um, and then of course, uh, uh, Lisa continue that with us, uh, continues the experiments with us. Um, but you know, the first time we did this, um, successfully, uh, at the rocket heater jamboree, uh, in, uh, 2021, um, we had an enormous, uh, rocket heater, uh, that we dumped a lot of fuel through and produced a couple of little tiny, tiny, uh, pieces that fired successfully out of uh, an entire kiln full of stuff. We had one little hot spot and that was a fantastic, exciting thing to see, um, that we'd actually <laughs> been able to fire because I mean, I, I know it's been done a lot before me trying to get this to work and I'd, tried several times uh, to get it to work. And so now we had something that worked a little bit. And then the next time we had something that worked a little bit better. And 
uh, and and now it's uh, we're getting entire kilns full of fully fired um, uh, uh, cl- uh, clay uh, pottery. Uh, we figured out that we can put a baffle in the bottom of the kiln, uh, which is also acting as the bottom of the riser, and uh, squeeze down that that, um, that heat difference. Uh, from several hundred degrees, uh, bottom to top to, uh, to less than a hundred degrees, um, uh, difference bottom to top, which means we get a good firing of the full kiln. So and there's also the, with the kiln, there's also the need to anneal to some degree to, to have it not cool too terribly fast. Uh, I, uh, the big thing is, we walked away from this. So like, I like what, you know, Alan's making a very good point. I was also trying to come up with a way of saying how big is the woodshed that burned all that wood? I, I'm, I'm trying to say like, okay, if you were to have a woodshed that was 10 by 10 by 10 and filled to the top, it would probably be more wood than that. Um, and it would be smoky. Uh, but, for the, with this, you know, the two, I like the two banana boxes, um, uh, approach. Plus, uh, Alan, I think that when you burn that much wood in order to be able to get it to work out, you'd have to maintain that fire for probably at least a day and a half. Mud, am I close? Oh yeah, yeah. So a big, it's, a big kiln, you know, it, it, they, they, they make enormous kilns because it requires enormous resources and enormous manpower to uh to do this firing so they gotta uh squeeze as much productivity out of it as they absolutely possibly can Uh, it's just going to take a huge fire regardless of of what you're trying to fire and a um and the rocket uh has the potential to give us a lot more control over it um and we'll uh We'll be seeing uh, what we can do to, uh, um, you know, you really you want like a, the size of a um, a garage uh, chest freezer, a big garage chest freezer worth of space, ideally for a small production uh, kiln. And right now we're at um, uh, about two mini fridges worth of produ- production. Um, and, um, uh, in, in each firing. So, uh, we're working up for, uh, to, to improve efficiency, uh, not just, um, how much wood was burned, but the ergonomics of it. So a moment ago, I was saying something about how, um, at least a day and a half, uh, I know a lot of them go for three days to do the burn in order to, to you know, um, fire the pottery. Uh, to fire the ceramics. How long was the burn with the new rocket kiln? It was fired in under two hours and under five hours for the whole process of firing it up and letting it cool down enough to dismantle it and take stuff out. Yeah, that was going to point that one out. That's a, that's a huge one. It's like, yeah, the, the, when they're doing these wood fired before, they're doing these huge batches but they were taking a day and a half to three days. And here you're talking about, you know, a, even where we are today at this, you know, sort of say beta prototype stage, we've already got something 
pretty good size that can go through an entire production cycle in like five hours. So, you know, that's another huge, huge thing. You're not having, because if you think about it, if you're having to maintain that fire, uh, you, you can't just walk away from it. You've got to have people logistically on site for the entire burn, managing all of that, which is a huge amount of labor that goes into a fire. And so here you can, if once things are well set up, you could have a single person manage the burn um, very easily within a single workday versus it being a multi-day, multi-person kind of logistical, you know, um, uh, challenge to get a burn done. It's going to take a community to do it. My, you have, uh, have my like next five different people, yeah. each taking shifts. Right. Right. My next little um, little attempt on this thing is uh, the the mini fridge design. Is the idea of that is to be able to uh, have several of these mini fridges packed full of uh, of um, pottery ready to fire, and as soon as you've got two hours of burn uh, to where you've reached your temperature, rather than letting your uh, uh, is it me cutting and, out or is, uh, is it mud cutting out? Uh, no, I, I think it's me cutting out, but I, I think it's better now. So when you're uh, with this little mini fridge that sits uh, right on the, uh, the, the rocket heater core, uh, the idea is to have something that you can slide handles onto it, like poles like the Ark of the Covenant sort of a thing, and lift it off and set it aside after firing it in two hours or less and uh, without uh, without losing your temperature of your your fire set your next uh, uh, kiln your, your next uh, mini fridge kiln right down on the uh, the rocket burner and have it up to temperature in an hour or so uh, and and do several production runs in a day of course, that's that's going to take some uh, logistics uh, to not end up with a bunch of broken pottery from moving it and uh, uh, and so forth. But um, but that's one could, one way to look at this move for the production, combustion, production. Could you move the combustion unit instead of the um, instead of the, the the kiln unit? Yes, you could. the uh, The first takeaway from the the, the permaculture technology jamboree was a uh, uh, a rocket core that is uh, an engine, basically, that you can slide in and out from uh, multiple devices, whether it's a forge or a, uh, uh, a water heater for the hot tub, and we're still working on that. And, uh, um, you know, to be able to, to, to uh, go back and forth between the different, um, the different uh, equipment so that you're treating the the forge or the kiln or the water heater as a as an attachment for the rocket um, yeah. uh, core. Um, yeah. And I was, uh, I was kind of visualizing this idea. Of money. This, I was kind of visualizing this this idea of the rocket core on a roll around platform on scissor jacks, 
so that you could roll it up underneath where you needed it, crank it up so that it engaged into whatever you needed it to fire, and then, you know, uh, fire away. And then when you, you were ready, disengage it and take it somewhere else. Right, right. So, yeah, slide in and out from the other things or sliding the other things off, uh, back and forth. Um, is, is part of this, uh, this whole, um, experiment. Um, you know, cause having to come up with the $500 or more, uh, for each, uh, uh, the, just the insulation, the ceramic in board insulation for each rocket engine gets pretty, uh, it's pretty hefty if you just all you're trying to do is experiment. And, uh, and it's not like a rocket heater where it's supposed to be running for a good chunk of the day in one spot warming the house. This is, uh, these are things that we use for a little while and then flipping it over to use it with a different, um, uh, uh, with a different, uh, piece of equipment is, uh, is, is working pretty nicely. Uh, I look forward to doing more with that. Yeah, so now, modularity is is quite interesting because then you could talk about multiple kiln units, and of course, if you move the the core rocket core instead of the kiln unit, then you get away from the possibility of jangling and breaking pottery by trying to move the kiln unit. And at the same moment, you're like, okay, well, this same core can roll over here to a forge, uh, ye, and, and possibly any other number of attachments, so to speak. Um, if all of them were designed to take the same core. Yep. We currently have two, well, three, before before the permaculture technology jamboree started, we had three of these kind of engines about that we would plug into different things for different experiments and stuff like that. But I believe all three of them are six-inch J-tubes, and they are a little on the stubby side. And, and so their yep. riser is not a full height riser. So then the idea is, is that they work great, except that the wood that you put in is supposed to be no more than like 10 or 12 inches long. But of course the standard length of firewood is 15 to 16 inches long. And instead of like limiting it to the shorter wood, people just stick the longer wood in and it just sticks out. And it's like, uh, it, it leads to problems, but but it does work generally quite well. However, well, when, when talking about this new project, then we started talking about, like, let's make a full 8-inch portable J-tube that we could stick into things. But once we start talking about that, it's like, wow, that is going to be so heavy, it's going to be it's going to be too difficult to move around, and so uh, in the end, Mud came up with the idea of like, well, what if we have it in two pieces? There'll be the bottom core and the riser, and then you just set the riser on top, and it kind of has the Ark of the Covenant thing in it, where you can kind of get you know some carrying handles mounted to it, and then. Uh, pick this piece up and set it over there and then pick this piece up and move it over there. Now, Alan, you're saying have something set up in such a way that it could be raised up like a floor, floor jack or something like that. And it's like, 
uh, let's call that maybe an idea for version two. But when it came to the original kiln designs, that was kind of what was being proposed. But the problem is, is that the general area where we would want it has a lot of sand. So moving stuff around on sand and jacking things up on sand kind of has other challenges. But speaking of sand, speaking of sand, um, we're finding that a lot of people who are following this project all over the world don't have access to the really good insulation, the ceramic uh, world ceramic board insulation that we used for our rocket engine. Um, and, uh, and if we surround our rocket engine with enough sand, which is often free, um, we can get the same insulation, uh, as the ceramic board was giving us for a lot, for, to make a lot cheaper, a lot more accessible builds. We've been testing that too. That, uh, and, and the next thing that I want to test is, uh, this stuff called foam glass, uh, a, uh, it's an insulative fill, compactable fill that's basically Rice Krispies made out of broken glass. I'll be very curious to see if that insulative value of that, um, if I can keep it from melting long enough to, uh, uh, to give us our insulative value. Uh, but, but yeah, it's been exciting to be able to say, yeah, we can do this with these, uh, these high energy, high embodied energy, uh, materials, but can we also do this with stuff that, uh, people could scrounge? Uh, and the answer is yes. In fact, in the Free Heat movie, which is basically a movie based upon the rocket mass heater, the last rocket mass heater jamboree that we hosted here, um, most of the builds, featured a core, so a wood feed, a burn tunnel, and a riser stub being uh, embedded in the sand. And so we did a lot of experimenting with that. Yeah. So, it's, so you know, for anybody who has seen the Free Heat movie, you've, you've seen this. Now, longer term, we have discovered one small problem so far, and there's a way to mitigate it. But one small problem is if a cat gets in there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the cat kind of discovers this little bit of sand right next to the wood feed and is like, this is kind of nice. You've warmed my sandbox for me. <laughs> you know? Mm. It's like, uh, I'm going to put something in here that's going to make this room smell amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we now strictly keep the cats out, and uh, and now we're also exploring the idea of putting a little bit of cob over the top of that. But I want to hear both of you guys, and maybe some of the other people that are here today to be part of this podcast, uh, talk about because basically word went out that we did this, that we. We basically did a kiln run using like $3 worth of firewood that you could have gotten for free, uh, as opposed to like three cords or six cords or something like that, or 35 to $85 worth of, uh, electricity or natural gas. So it's like 
we just, the word went out, like, like Lisa took pictures and then she put the word out to these other ceramicists all over the world. The effect was glorious. This, this is the part where you guys share your stories. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we started hearing back during the PTJ. I mean, we, Lisa was posting on social, you know, in real time as we were pulling these things out. I was taking some pictures. She was taking pictures. Um, I was trying to document a few things, you know, picture wise as, as we went, but she was doing so as well and putting things up on, uh, her social media accounts. And, um, you know, we were getting stories back of, of, uh, of, of people around the world in the, in the wood fire ceramic space, uh, basically just, you know, having a, you know, like, is that, can that, is this real? Is this possible? Can this, you know, cause, you know, you can imagine if they, if their life has been that the only way that they know how to wood fire to get their art done is to get a group of people together and go out and, and, and spend a day and a half to three days and, you know, we creating, burning huge amounts of wood and creating huge amounts of smoke and all that sort of stuff. And now somebody come back and says, yeah, we did the entire thing in a couple hours with just this little handful of wood. It's like, what magic is this? You know, what is this complete game changer? Um, so it, it, it was basically redefined what was possible. And that was, I think, what drove so much of the excitement that was happening. Um, and questions, how do we do this? How, you know, what is it, how we, how do we make this happen? How do we do this ourselves? So that's, that conversation I think is still unfolding. There's a lot of disbelief. Yeah. Uh, I believe the phrase I heard was utterly flabbergasted. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of prove it, uh, which we did. Uh, there was, so it was, it was basically considered to be not, not possible. Not even, not even, people couldn't even contemplate that it could be real. And it, it was so profound and such a change. And, uh, but it's, it's a wonderful thing that we live in an era of video. So we could video it happening, video the, uh, the results, video the thermometers that are in place, video the cones that yep. could all prove what we did, as well as having witness testimony. This did really happen. And this is what, what was accomplished. So, um, I don't know. I, I do feel like this is probably the biggest thing that happened at the PTJ, uh, uh, last year. Um, Chris, you have now know, been more. Some of those more... pizzas were pretty good. <laughs> well, when it comes to permaculture technology, I think this was our, our biggest win. Although I gotta say, the thing I I love the most out of all the projects that were done is probably not that big of a leap of a project. I mean, this is profound, but I'm I kind of feel like we've known that rocket mass heaters were this profound for a long time, and uh, a lot of people just don't believe it. And so now we've got a new metric to demonstrate. But the thing I liked the best was the uh, the log picnic table. That's my favorite artifact. Chris, 
you have uh, been intimately involved in learning about all of the responses and being more involved in stuff since then. Uh, but, but when it came to the moment when word got out and we started hearing back, what was your experience? Uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty, uh, vindicating of the, um, uh, of, of the time that's been put into this. I mean, we've, we've spent a lot of frustrating sessions. Um, and there were, you know, and more before me, uh, before I got into this, uh, trying to get stuff hot enough for long enough, um, uh, to, to have value other than the rocket mass heater that the, um, uh, that the American code seems to want to keep away, uh, from us. Um, these, uh, you know, things, uh, practical devices to use the rocket, uh, technology, um, to use industrial scrap wood and to use, uh, you know, the junk from your yard, uh, for low carbon heat. Um, yeah, anything we can do that way uh that gets a toehold and gets other people um excited enough to uh to uh continue uh we've got a a facebook group right now that uh is um has been able to use their translation technology to go international uh and people keep popping on and getting um getting filled in as to what we've learned and jumping out and doing more with it. Um, and that's, that's also exciting because it takes it, it, it it's, it's, it's the functional viral, um, you know, take it and take it and run with it folks and tell us what you did that worked. And, um, uh, and there's so much more of the world that's still dependent on, uh, ceramics and there's so much of ceramics that that we can scale up and then crush and reuse far easier than we can uh seem to be able to do with plastics or uh uh or glass or uh you know any of these other higher embodied energy materials um so this is the embodied energy that it takes to uh, have ceramics be part of everyday life. And, um, and if we can have that embodied energy come from and return to, uh, local, um, uh, reservoirs rather than, uh, going off on the wind after coming from across the planet and deep down in the ground, um, that's very exciting, empowering. Yeah, I like that point a lot. I mean, it's, it's one thing to think about the, you know, oh, this is nice for, um, you know, upper middle class, um, ceramic artists who enjoy doing their craft by wood firing and so forth. But we have to remember there are areas of the world where, um, they still depend upon, uh, pottery and wood fired pottery for very practical, 
uses day to day. And so, you know, the, the idea that we could greatly reduce the embodied um, energy and the embodied pollution uh, for these practical um, implements that could be made locally and greatly reduce the amount of wood that is being harvested from the local biosphere in order to meet this requirement. You know, that is a set of game changers to me um, that it has the, the, the possibility of greatly impacting quality of life in many areas. Um, so, you know, you think about it in that context, that I think it becomes quite an important innovation. Yeah, I visited a uh, community in India in probably 2001, and uh, they had this one little spot in the middle of the village where everyone would gather and enjoy a cup of mango lassi, or like this fermented yogurt drink, and they were in clay pots. And it was just common practice. Everyone knew what to do, but... I watched people finish their lassi and smash their clay pots into the middle of a trough in the middle of the gathering space. And then I watched as the gathering ended and the, uh, the lassi maker emptied all of the broken shards of pottery into a vessel to break it down, reclaim them and make them into new pots. So the fact that we can integrate a more efficient wood firing apparatus into that already regenerative low-tech recycling system, I think, is profound. Yeah. I never understood the desire to break stuff like that. (laughs) Well, I think... But things enter their end of life, and and, uh, why not use something that's not merely disposable at the end? Sure. Yeah. I think one of the things coming is, is this, is, you know, as um as as Uncle Mud's been talking about, they've been continuing to refine these designs. I think we're getting close to that point now where you know that, that need to document the uh, document things and get it out for larger application and feedback. I think that's going to be one of the next you know stages, and uh, that will be when this can really begin to to scale up, you know. Um, and I'm excited to see how it's received at the ceramics conference mud next month. Yes. Um, I think as the technology is optimized and, uh, the, the temperature gradient within the kiln is more reliable and consistent, uh, it will become more attractive to more production level potters, um, who are still currently pretty dependent on cheap fossil fuel. So. Maybe maybe you guys can call it a, a permaculture kiln. I don't know. I'm 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 now trying to get get more credit for permaculture, more people thinking about permaculture, more people talking about permaculture. But anyway. Well, yeah, I, I, we were going to call it the Paul, but we're saving that we're saving <laughs> that for the incinerating toilet. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. That'll be delightful. The, the, rocket, the rocket incinerator toilet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is continued in part three. Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Are you a fan of pie? Where there is pie at permies.com. This pie grants the user of secret access. You also get free things like videos of Wheaton Labs, the ability to add two thumbs up, two posts, and more. 
To get Pi, go to permies.com forward slash Pi to get the inside scoop of what Pi can do for you. Again, that is permies.com forward slash Pi.